Housebroken Clothing and ClassicSciFi.com have joined forces to present the ultimate in classic science fiction-inspired apparel. All shirts are hand-printed here in the USA. Everyone loves the luxurious feel of these shirts. The prints are lightweight with soft inks, making them the perfect combination of style and comfort. Each shirt is unique and meticulously cared for during production. They are then inspected, approved, and signed by the artist himself. All this, plus free shipping. They've got Frankenstein shirts, Night of the Living Dead shirts, UFO shirts, all sorts of shirts. They're great shirts. Check out the shirts today at ClassicSciFi.com. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. This is the second episode I am Cody Clark. I am the host, as you probably know, if you have heard the first episode. With me today is Jenna Ipkar. Hello. And Ned Martin. How do you do? All right, we are here today to talk about movie theaters, movie theater experiences, good movie theaters in the city, anything movie theaters. That's the topic, right, guys? Yes. Got it. What are your favorite movie theaters in the city? Let's talk about that first. Favorite movie theater. I I mean, I feel like New York City just has theaters that are just more usable than they are wonderful theaters. Like, I go to IFC all the time because they have cool movies. Um, I go to, like, film forums, same reason, but they're kind of junky theaters, you know, physically. Yeah, that's true. There isn't, like, really... I'm trying to think of one that's, like, really gorgeous. I mean, the Pavilion, when it first opened up here in Park Slope like ages and ages ago when we were all kids that was a pretty beautiful theater because it was you had the balcony thing yeah it was a two theater movie theater yeah the saunders theater is that what it was called yeah yeah and it was like a sort of moorish design yeah it had this great balcony that's where i saw the the star wars uh things when they brought those back before you know phantom menace and all that right so that theater closed the saunders theater closed in the 70s Mm. and then uh it reopened as the pavilion and um that happened in the 90s and that's my also my my number one memory of it was having that balcony still they tried they kept it for a while they only had a couple of theaters and that balcony and then they realized that they weren't making enough money for it but then i remember seeing the phantom menace and that was actually a great movie experience. Oh, I have absolutely. that like so standout. Like everyone was so into it, and like what a crappy movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a that was a weird one because I don't think people really knew how they felt about it just right yet. Like that was kind of one where like people sat on it and then they had their opinions about that. Do you remember when you saw that one? Yeah, I felt like that movie was almost like the equivalent of driving really fast in a car. And, uh, you know, you slam into a wall, but your body just keeps on moving through a, a windshield. <laughs> so, like, you know what I mean? It's like you have all these great expectations and hopes for this movie, and then you actually see the movie, which is a brick wall smashing your car. And uh, But, you know, you still don't know how you feel as your body goes through the windshield. You're like, well, I still am moving. And then eventually you kind of come down and you're like, that movie is terrible. Yeah, it, it, that was like a slow burn as far as, like, how bad it was, I think. I think, like... Two, we were kind of biased because we were pretty young. Right. You know, we were kind of like trusting the adults that made it and the adults that took us that like, you know, they wouldn't put us through this if it was really bad, right? (laughs) You know, they wouldn't screw this up that terribly. 
That's exactly it. I think both of you are dead on. <laughs> I actually think that movie's so bad, it makes the other movies way worse than they were initially. All of them. All of them. The four, five, six. Yeah. Two. All of them, yeah. I can't watch any of them now. Probably because of The Phantom Menace. To be it's that tainted, right? Yeah, I think so. I see what you're saying, too, because it's like if for the majority of your life, you thought that a, a story began at a certain point. And then all of a sudden, you're a certain age. You're like 14, 15, or 13, or however. I don't even remember how old I was when I saw that. You find out that that wasn't the beginning, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, why, why not begin with, with Luke Skywalker? You know what I mean? Like, what yeah. a great beginning. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, nah, you know, we'll start off with these other guys. You know what I mean? One of them, I don't even know his name. He's played by Liam Neeson. And you're like, what? Who is this guy? You know what I mean? And it's like, here's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then there's this little kid and this other fucking thing with big ears, you know? It's like, I don't know about this, dude. It's funny about Liam Neeson, too, because, like, when he was in that, everyone was like, who is this guy? You know? But now he's, like, the action guy. Yeah. If he had been in it now, everyone would have been like, kick ass, Liam Neeson in a Star Wars movie. Right. Back then, they were like, Schindler's List? Is yeah. This a Star Wars movie? Really? All right. <laughs> I remember the pavilion, a positive one, is I saw uh, Office Space with my mom in the theaters at the pavilion. It was us and, like, maybe two other people. This is way... I mean, Office Space didn't really hit as, like, a movie that people understood was awesome until it hit on vhs and stuff definitely so it was like we we're watching this like special little movie that we knew was amazing and every, anytime we told people about it after we saw it like everyone was like yeah yeah you know they didn't believe us they thought it was like something like just this throwaway movie that nobody would think of that happened to me um in salem massachusetts there was a they used to have a dollar theater and it was sort of like in a mall. It was a real like kind of grungy mall. And it was a weird, you know, I, it was almost like a grindhouse, like you know, a throwback to like the grindhouse days. But they would play Hollywood movies and it would just cost a dollar. I don't know how they stayed in business. But I went to go see um, The Edge. Remember The Edge? Is that with Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin and The Bear? Yeah, I think that is what it's called. The Edge, yeah. right? The David Mamet script. Yeah, one. and yeah. I remember just walking into that movie being like, I, I forget who dragged me to the movie, but I was like, I can't, I can't believe I'm going to go see The Edge, you know, for a buck. But because it was a buck, I went, and it was just, I was like blown away by this movie. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, terror, yeah it's Did great. you ever see that one, Jenna? No. It's, it's weird, because it. like, it's Mamet, but it's like two guys, and it's like a thriller kind of action kind of thing where they're trying to escape a bear in the woods. But it's not like they're having, like, mammoth stilted dialogue, you know? They're, like, mostly running around and doing stuff. But it, it hits a weird balance where, like, there are those kind of mammoth lines. And it, it's a kind of like a weird movie. It's hard to put into, like, a category or a box because of that. Because right. it has that tinge of mammoth. But it also, you know, there were a ton of those movies, like, in the late 90s. <laughs> kind of Exactly, yeah. That was, like... A, a time for like the woods and things happening in the woods. Did you notice that? Like, <laughs> yeah. And we've sort of come back to that with like, I guess the Hunger Games and Twilight and stuff. But there was a patch in like the 90s where like every movie had to happen with something in the woods. At some, There must have been some huge tax break for shooting in the woods at a certain point in the late 90s. Wasn't it just for Canada? And then there's really nothing was, else in yeah. Canada. <laughs> yeah, so they were like, Bam, oh, we'll write oh. a wood scene. But I remember like every coming of age story about kids had to have something in the woods. Um, you know, a lot of the action stuff, like, uh, 
you know, the fugitive or whatever, you know. Right, right. A lot of woods in that. A lot of running through the woods. I never thought of that until just now. That was a... <laughs> and, then, and then nothing. No woods after that for a long period of time. Starting to get back to the woods, I think. Yeah, we got to get better tax breaks for the woods. Well, they have all those tax breaks now in, in Michigan. I know about right. it. And Louisiana. That's become the uh. new L.A., ironically, you know, because the postal thing is L.A., and everybody, all the people in L.A. are shooting in L.A., but the actual L.A., Louisiana. I'm just staring at Cody shaking my head. <laughs> it's crazy, right? That's like a weird thing. It is a weird thing. If you thing. wrote that in the script, it would be like, that's too on the nose. You can't use that. Nobody's <laughs> going to believe that. That the people in L.A. are going to go shoot in a place called L.A. because they can't afford to shoot in L.A. You'd change that in the script, right? Yeah, I would. <laughs> Actually, you know, well, Michigan, I, I went to school in Ann Arbor, and they have the, the Michigan um, the Michigan Theater, I think it's called, actually. I don't, I don't remember. Big, like, gorgeous, like, gilded, you know, like, 1920s uh, theater. And that's what we, I kind of wish we had in in New York more of. It must exist somewhere. But I remember, I, saw, I got to see um, Wings there, like the 1920 Wings. I thought you meant the 90s television show. <laughs> <laughs> That one too. That was it. Was a two parter. Wow, yeah. But That's Wings a good double was, feature. Wings was awesome because they had a live like a live Wurlitzer and and uh, that's just a cool movie. I don't know if you've guys seen it. Uh, really, yeah. Good. I heard that's great. That's the airplane one, right? Yeah, it's like World War One airplane uh, dogfight kind of movie yeah. where they actually um, you know crash these planes. You know, it's like it's great stunts, but it's also sort of. Like strangely homoerotic, I found. For Will like, they ever make a plane movie that isn't uh, slightly true. homoerotic? It's it like seems like Top Gun. You know, they start out with all the best intentions, and they're like, "We're going to make a good, honest plane movie." You know, whether it's Top Gun or Red Tails or something, and then somewhere along the way, just homoeroticism seeps in as the subtext this one it's about two guys who both love the same woman it's like clara bow or someone you know like good really good looking woman and they go to war and then they, they find that the true love is with each other not go. really but it kind of is it's oh still, yeah absolutely like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. film forum you touched on i i saw king kong at the film forum with john d'amico and it blew me away uh, the print, I don't know what the fuck print they had of it, but it was pristine, it was gorgeous, and it was huge. I mean, giant square s- screen right in front of your face, King Kong. That's the way to see King Kong, because you really need that scale to him. You know, when you're watching it on a TV or something, he's just this little guy, you know, and there's other little guys running around on the ground around him. When you see it in a movie theater... That's one of those movies where it's like, it's such a movie theater movie, because you really have to look up at it. Like, I would even suggest if you're watching it on TV at home, just get yourself on, like, the floor and look up, because you need that physical experience of just the way it's shot. It's just shot up. And then, I, you know, I loved seeing that at the film forum. It blew me away. This was like a year or so ago. And then it was playing at BAM, like, two weeks later. And I went to see it again. And it was the shittiest fucking print. <laughs> and I didn't have the same experience whatsoever. And it's like, man, you know, the theater experience, it, it, it adds so much. And until you really see it side by side like that, you never realize how much 
that affects it. Like if I had told somebody, dude, you have to go see King Kong at BAM. I saw the film forum. It was amazing. You got to just go. And I told somebody to go see it. They would have come back to me and been like, yeah, it was all right. You know, it was pretty cool. But they, man, just at film forum, it was like incredible. Actually, BAM is a gorgeous theater. I, maybe is, that's about as close as we have. And I've seen great movies at BAM. Right. But for some reason, that print was just junky. That's the worst. It's That's like the worst thing. Or when they just have like digital prints that are just shit, too, mm-hmm. of the of these movies that really need to be seen as as they were intended to be seen. That's the problem with BAM is sometimes you don't know what you're in for. And not specifically on BAM, but whenever they play older movies at the theater, you don't know if the print's going to be good how great the restoration was, if there was any restoration, if they're just, it's a digital like 4K thing or you don't know what you're getting into a lot of these times. So you're kind of taking a chance on if it's going to be gorgeous or not. But I think there's sort of a, um, there's something to be said for seeing like a print that's not really in the best shape too. Like I remember seeing um, an original print, I think from 86 of Blue Velvet and it was in very good shape at all, but it was, to me, it was almost like like I got excited about seeing that print. Do you know what I mean? Even though I've seen Absolutely, it on Blu-ray yeah. much, much better. And, uh, you know, the, I think I saw an old, strange print of... Um, oh, yeah, one of the most interesting experiences I had was I saw Friday the 13th Part 3 in its original 3D uh, print. And it was pink and red and, you know what I mean, kind of the audio was skip and sync and stuff like that. But it was, like, amazing to see. So it was very visceral. Yeah, it was. It was. It gave me a whole different perspective on the movie. Yeah, because that's kind of like the laughable one, you know. Yeah, of that but group. You, to see it in three D is is definitely a different, you know. Exactly. They, they 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 yeah they can't really replicate it. For some reason, they're not replicating what it, what it, on like Blu Ray. You know how like they have like um the red and blue glasses. Yeah. Like that's kind of like I think the chump three D, right? Like yeah. Yeah, so like they, they for some reason they they put it out on DVD or whatever with the Chump 3D. Hmm. Have you been either of you been to the Spectacle Theater in Williamsburg? No. Now there are a bunch of really good ones out there now, right? Well, like Nighthawk and Yeah, well the Spectacle's kind of interesting because it's this real it's like someone bought a bodega, gutted it, put like hung a screen and then screens really weird stuff. And it's that's a place where you go in there not expecting good quality because most of the, the things that they play are just so off the fucking charts anyhow. Uh, but it, it you get excited to see things because they look kind of gritty and shitty and th- this theater is just like crap, you know? It's like, which isn't to say it's not a great theater, but it's totally like a mess. It's like BYOB. You like go to the corner shop, you like buy a six pack and then you go like pay five bucks and see a movie. I saw this movie there called... Um, white star it which was like some 1980s german uh movie that had dennis hopper in it and it was really weird like i would i would recommend seeing it because it's absolutely insane it's like basically about this a guy who wants to be a famous singer in uh germany and dennis hopper is his manager but like that's really the only problem like because he's he's like talented (laughs) and successful and then He'll be like, well, if I work hard and, and I do my job, then we'll we'll get there. And Dennis Hopper's like, no. <laughs> He's like, break into the office and steal the money. If you steal the money, we'll get there. And then, like, it basically just everything Dennis Hopper does just fucks this poor guy up. And, like, 
they, they make it seem like, oh, he's struggling and blah, blah. It's like, no. He's like, got a shitty manager. You have a terrible manager. You got a 1980s Dennis Hopper sort of managing your, your career. He's all like all, totally on LSD. I'd be scared to fire Dennis Hopper if he was my manager. Yeah. There, he just, he has, he's clearly like not on script. He's just rambling. There's one scene where he's literally just rolling around on the floor, like talking about like whatever like it's the craziest movie that sounds and pretty good yeah. it's kind of amazing <laughs> <I> like <laughs> because the by of the it. end of it yeah. you realize the only problem was dennis hopper like <laughs> there would have been no issue otherwise oh man but that was cool i mean they, they, have, they have some interesting things there they, they screen cool stuff the nighthawk is cool too they also they show interesting things i don't know if you, you guys have been there either. i haven't been there yet but there are a bunch of popped up in the last couple of years around over there that I haven't really gotten a chance to explore. I think, actually, what what are your opinions on these theaters like the Alamo Draft House or Nighthawk that serve food, like full meals? Like, I, I, I like it's kind of interesting to me. Like, I know when The Hobbit came out, they were doing, like, real Lord of the Rings style. Like, you get several meals, like, the, the way a Hobbit would as right. you're watching the movie, which I thought was really cool. I didn't go to it, but I thought it was really neat. But I never want to eat food and watch a movie. Yeah, it seems like a kill two birds, one stone kind of thing. Like, if you're going out to eat and you're going to go see a movie, like... Really, that's if you're always, paying the babysitter, you might as well, like, yeah, do yeah, it all yeah. at once kind of thing. <laughs> well, it seems like it's one of those things, too, where, like, you always run into that problem with, like, movie times where, like, maybe the movie's at a certain time, but you want to go eat, but you can't really get over there in time. So you got to eat really early or you got to eat really late afterwards. And, like, sometimes they play at, like, a weird time where you run into that problem. And I guess that's like avoiding that. But also like I like seeing my food when I'm eating. Yeah. You know? Like sure. I don't like eating in the dark. You don't know what's in there. No. <laughs> it could be like a what like what if a fly is in your soup and you're in the theater? <laughs> you're not gonna know. Or even just yeah, I mean, even just you gotta make a choice. Every 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 bite you gotta make a choice between movie or food. That's true. I don't wanna make that choice. No. Although, you know, I don't want to knock anything until I try it because I have spoken to some people that I respect what they have to say about movies, not so much food, but they said that they enjoyed the experience. And I guess you don't have to eat. You can just kind of go there. But then you're around everybody who's eating. Yeah, you listen to forks. Uh, yeah, you know man. I mean? Clanking around and stuff. I don't I, know. I've definitely been there, but I've not. I've also not eaten. I think about the drinking. I can understand, like, but at the same time, I agree. Like, I either want to watch a movie or I want to eat a meal. Like, well, I don't want to do both. One of the great things about watching a movie and then going out to eat afterwards is you can talk about the movie, right? And there's no opportunity to talk about the movie if you're doing it at the same time. One thing that have you ever seen um, Diary of a Country Priest? No. Um, you know it's. Uh, a Bresson movie from like the early fifties or something like that. And, uh, the movie is almost just dead silent. Like there's some dialogue in there, but not a whole lot. And there's no music and really no sound effects to speak of. And it's basically just people, you know, the whole ambiance is like silent. And I just remember going to the movie theater and I was watching it and I was behind like a couple of people and I took a sip of my drink. And you know, sometimes when you take a sip of your drink, like, it gets sort of like it goes down the wrong way and you can almost hear it like going down. So basically it's just this, this dead silent movie theater and you could hear this like sip of Diet Coke like swirling down my esophagus <laughs> into my stomach. And these girls like turned around and like stared at me and just laughed in my face as as I sat embarrassed watching this diary of a country priest. It's very slow and methodical with no, not much sound to speak of. Yeah, it's always weird like the... The foods that become movie theater foods, like based on their sound, really more than like, 
whether they're good or not. <laughs> you know, like uh, like popcorn. I used to always hear the thing of like popcorn is a good movie theater food, and it became a good movie theater food because it's not allowed. And I'm like, have you ever met a popcorn bag in your life? <laughs> popcorn bags are the loudest device known to man, especially in the context of a dark, you know, kind of quiet theater. Right. The bag's pretty loud. You know, the popcorn, all right, fair enough. They're kind of keeping That's it crunchy, themselves. crunchy, though. Yeah, they're crunchy, but uh, the bag is like, the bag's not on the same page. The bag didn't get the memo of <laughs> how we should behave at a movie theater. I don't care for the whole nacho revolution because... I mean, you, you're dealing with cheese and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you, cheese in an enclosed environment. Yeah, it's dark. And it's, and it's not your cheese. It's somebody else eating the cheese. Yeah. It's how about, not a good vibe. How about the worst um, people, like your worst theater experience? Because this is reminding me of in uh, Cobble Hill theaters, uh, having two people. I don't remember the movie, but these people were talking super loud before the movie started to the point where you were like, oh, like fuck this is gonna happen continually so i ended up moving and then they turned around and poured their drinks on the seat behind them to get what? people to not sit there oh my god and i was like wow what assholes assholes but kind of brilliant like idiot <laughs> savant level kind of yeah. like actually yeah <laughs> i once yelled at uh in england actually i yelled at somebody <laughs> also like right we were going to go see uh, the wind that shakes the barley and for some reason these like asshole teenagers were there i don't know why it's like the most depressing movie <laughs> it's not even the title that would attract teenagers whatsoever <laughs> no it's like, like there's no teenager that's like we're going to see when the shakes the barley it reminds you of that simpsons thing where like they all see the the thing in the market that says naked lunch and, like, all the kids, like, go in and see that. And it's, like, <laughs> obviously completely different than they expected. Right. But well, yeah. I remember these this kid, like, they were, they were like, cursing and yelling. And they threw a bottle at the theater, like, at the screen right when it started. <laughs> and so I decided, and, like, the movie was starting and no one was saying anything. Everyone was too polite or something. So I broke all the cultural boundaries and I was just like, hey, kid, shut the fuck up. Like, as loud and as New York as I could. And it totally worked. But those kids waited for me after the movie ended, and I oh, had no. to sneak out of the theater. Were they going to beat was, you up? Or I was worried. I thought they were going to steal my bike. Give you an East End beatdown? <laughs> I just got out of there. <laughs> yeah, I remember there, you know, sometimes when people yell at movies, like, you know, sometimes it's annoying, but sometimes it's, like, perfect, and, like, the entire crowd is like, yeah, that was perfect. I love Th- it. There was this one moment where, like, I was seeing the new, su- not the new Superman, but the superman returns i guess and um there's this guy next to me and it was packed theater and there's this one part in the movie where lex luther kevin spacey i guess he um he holds up like this green tube that's like a tube of kryptonite it's just like a cylinder you know he just holds it up and he's talking about it or whatever and the guy just yells out superman condom <laughs> and it was just the perfect moment it was like you know, it was, it was mystery science theater level perfect. Just it was the perfect concept that a Superman condom would be just a giant, you know, phallic cylinder of kryptonite. It was just a beautiful moment. I love when people like yell shit out. Sometimes it depends. It really depends. As long as they do it successfully, it's great. Like I, I saw Pacific Rim in theaters, and I don't even remember what the guy said or when he said it, but it was just someone being way overly enthusiastic about like this movie that we, I think the whole theater agreed was not good. 
you know like yeah, i love that when it people, was when everyone were, turns on a movie that's a perfect moment exactly and it was something like they they said well like you know what are we gonna do and they were like not gypsy danger and the guy goes yeah <laughs> what's what's not gypsy danger i, I never know. saw that movie oh like the the like the meccas or they had one of them's named like gypsy danger dance hall or something i don't remember it was gypsy so danger sounds like a porno from the 70s <laughs> like that's trying to capitalize on the whole disco thing or something <laughs> it's gypsy something did you see it i don't remember i saw it but i guess I, I yeah i i don't remember a whole lot of it actually i just remember a lot of sort of close uh robot fighting and it's funny because you read i remember reading reviews of it afterwards and it, people saying like this is great like Joe Dante was was a big fan of that movie and wrote something like you know interesting about it and I was like man maybe I saw the wrong you know <laughs> you ever you ever see a movie and people like write something like really interesting about it and you kind of like I like that what, what you just described sounds like ridiculously great but like yeah, yeah. I just came from that movie it's like is that the movie yeah. is that the cut that I saw of it? yeah the wrong print yeah. the great <laughs> thing about Pacific Rim and John D'Amico pointed this out to me like a couple of weeks ago. He was like, dude, did you realize that that's the one movie that everybody on Smug Film doesn't like? Like, every single writer for Smug Film, everybody just doesn't like that movie. That's a one uniting factor of the entire site. Like, it should be called, like, the Society for People That Don't Like Pacific Rim and Talk About Movies That Aren't That. I was hyped for Pacific Rim. I really wanted to see it. Everybody was hoping that would be good. I mean... Del Toro and giant monsters and all that seems like a a fit, right? Yeah, and it was such a letdown. It was such a so corny. Yeah, it was almost like a Power Rangers movie. I didn't even know what it was about. I was like, oh, Pacific Rim. Yeah, it's one of those titles where it's like, it could be like some boring Liam Neeson like submarine movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was was actually hoping for a Liam Neeson movie halfway through. I was like, I wish Neeson showed up. Yeah. Could use them in this one. It's one of those titles where it sounds like a dad movie. Like one of those like boring, like kind of like Sunday afternoon on TV, kind of like guys in the military standing around talking about something that's going to happen, <laughs> like on a naval ship or something. Right. It's like, what do you want to watch? Golf or Pacific Rim? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. The, the thing of, uh, you know, reading a review and then making something click in your head and you're wondering like did you watch the same movie you know i had that experience similarly to that with uh dark knight where i put off seeing it for a really really long time and this was like the last week that it was going to be in theaters and i went and saw it so i'm in a theater with a bunch of people who are seeing it again because they love it and i'm watching it and i'm like i'm waiting for what everybody was talking about with that one. I'm waiting to really connect to it and think, all right, this is the greatest superhero movie, or this is something really huge and significant. It just never clicked. I never clicked into it. And I don't know if it was because I missed the whole movie theater experience of seeing it one of the opening nights or something and everybody being like, all right, this is different. I never connected to that movie. I never had that moment. Did you guys like that movie? Yeah, I thought it was, I, yeah, yeah. I thought it was okay. How about you, Jenna? That's the third one, right? No, it's the second one, right? The se- oh, I yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's controversial, I feel like. I, in my opinion is that I had good acting, but it didn't do it for me. Yeah. I thought that, honestly, I mean, my order is that I, I really liked the first one a ton. The second one was okay. We're talking about the Nolan ones. Yeah, the Nolan yeah. ones. 
The second one was okay, and I and I didn't like the third. And How about you? Which what's your sort of? I think with any of them, I think that the third one had the most sort of apparent problems, and it was just it was very long and almost incomprehensible. I think that they're all potentially like very interesting, but the more you kind of look at any of them, like the less the less it may, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, it's a fucking superhero. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's always like that <laughs> shit. It's like, oh, yeah, no, no. He's talking about, you know, the the Joker has some pretty interesting motivation. And it's like, oh, wait, no, he's a fucking Batman villain. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, the more you kind of dig into that stuff, it just seems like a series of scenes that are kind of strung together to me that are sort of like smoke and mirrors. Like, if you don't think about it too much, it's really cool. But yeah. once you start to think about it, you're like, well, maybe not. Maybe maybe, maybe it's not so great. That's my thought. No, I'm, I think I'm on the same page. I, I, you probably liked the middle one more than I did. I I couldn't really connect. I liked the first one when I saw it, you know, the Batman Begins. Right. I liked that when I saw it. I never, I never bothered with the third one. After the second one, I just wasn't feeling it. I don't think you need to bother with the third. I'm getting sick of all these superhero movies, even though I'm inclined to like superhero movies. You know, like, it's not that I'm anti it, but I'm I'm getting bored with, I don't know. They, they, I feel like they're also, the, it's that car crash. I think that's the theme here for me, at least, is like, you know, you go in there and you're hyped about it and you really like it. And then you, later on, you're like, no, that wasn't, wasn't that good. The thing with these superhero movies that pisses me off, like, I, I like, like, when you look at comic books, they have, like, a lot of great color and a lot of, like, kind of fun and cheesiness about them i i feel like and yeah and it's all about the composition really yeah and the thing about it is it's like 30 pages or at least when i was a kid they were like 30 pages and you know there was no beginning and no end it was like a soap opera and i feel like when you go to these movies it's like every single time it's like oh you know what well how did batman actually begin it's like who gives a shit like what are you yeah, talking it's a very, about it's a very simple concept yeah, guy like, in a bat suit he doesn't he like a, fucking bad guys. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what more do you need to know about this Yeah, guy? it's not like we have to sort of get on board with his motivation. We don't like bad guys either. Yeah. That's kind of the thing of, you know, bad guys in general. Yeah. I mean, unless you happen to be a bad guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're just in the movie like, nah, I don't, I don't well, like that, this guy. <laughs> it's almost like the movie is for bad guys. Right. Because it's like, I understand that, you know, the whole him fighting bad guys is something that's going to be difficult for you to understand. But maybe if you understand that, like, when he was a kid, he had a really hard time, okay? And that's why he doesn't like bad guys. Like, it, you, you're selling us on a concept that's so inherent and so... It's like, you can't even use the word trope for it because it's just literally just good versus evil, you yeah. know? I mean, it's like, if you get in there and you see this dude that's, like, mega rich... And he, you know, he's got all kinds of like cars and helicopters. Like you're automatically like, all right, let, let's see this guy. You know what I mean? What kind of crazy trap is like uh, the Riddler going to throw him in? You know? Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Like, all right, well, let's see some interesting things here. But it's like, no, no. You see, he uh, he studied kung fu and with uh, Ken Watanabe or whatever his name yeah. is. It's like, <laughs> all right. I like that you nailed it. I like that you got his name burned. Did I? I, <laughs> I think I, you did actually. I don't even think I've ever heard it pronounced before. Yeah. That was just me, sort of. Hoping for the best on that one. 
But yeah, those bad, those superhero movies, you know. But those things are crazy. Like you go to a movie theater to see that, like you were saying, with the Dark Knight or whatever. Like I remember I went to see the Dark Knight, I think, when it opened, and there were people dressed up as the Joker. And I'm like, you guys haven't even seen this movie yet. It's yeah. almost like <laughs> you don't want to be dressed like the Joker if it ends up sucking. Yeah, like what about where I, like the dudes that went as Arnold Schwarzenegger when uh, the Batman and Robin came out? You know, yeah. those guys left the theater kind of like had to it's walk a long home. walk to the car. <laughs> walking home in the the poison ivy it's like going to a baseball game and like the team loses and you're walking out in the uniform yeah yeah (laughs) it's like oh my team's really terrible yeah yeah i was in the promotional stuff for i actually like that more than that movie was all the the pre like all the um getting people riled up for uh harvey dent they were like having actual rallies and they were giving out free shirts and oh, stuff. I remember that. I forgot about oh, like that. Buttons, I was in like, like vote for Harvey Dent and stuff. Yeah, and I was in like the Comcast promotion. They interviewed me. They were like, "What do you think about Harvey Dent?" I was like, "Oh my god, he's so cute!" And they totally used <laughs> <laughs> it. That was fun. I like that part. That's wonderful. And then, yeah, you leave the movie. You're like, "Oh, now I have this Harvey Dent shirt." Well, oh well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Of all the characters to like create the buzz around, it's like they didn't they didn't go for the joker thing they went for harvey dent they were trying to do like elections i guess yeah and, you know, it was a whole thing yeah that makes i would have been like i don't know i don't really like his stance on crime personally <laughs> <laughs> his thing you know that when he came out against gay marriage like that really threw <laughs> yeah, it from me right. <laughs> when there was that scandal with harvey dent tapping his foot in the bathroom at the airport yeah. you know that kind of th- <laughs> You guys are closing all kinds of school programs, yeah. and we're going to worry about crime. Where are all those old Harvey Dent videos? Are those online or something? I think I have a copy of it. I still have all my promotional stuff. It's fun. I have I had fun with it. Maybe we can dig that up. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. We can all take turns wearing it. <laughs> oh, I mean, if there's footage of you, you know, we Put want the people the to website. see the footage. Oh, right. Yeah, it might, it might still be around. We'll take a look. We'll dig through the uh, the vaults, the it's- Gen Epcar vaults. <laughs> Speaking of the Genev car vaults, I I, was, <laughs> I can't imagine that you have. <laughs> yeah, wait, what? <laughs> no, but I read I read um, the thing you did on the Argento movie, <clears throat> and uh, I was thinking about. Oh no, that was Chloe. Oh, that was Chloe. Yeah. I'm sorry. You can that's talk not... about that too. That was a good piece. Yeah, I, well, I thought oh, that's that, a, that ties into the movie theater. Yeah, that, that's the thing that that I found interesting about it was that uh, with Argento. I, I, I'm sorry that it wasn't you, by the way. I, I love I our, I love Argento, so we're good. Okay, cool. cool. <laughs> Jenna um, will be playing the role of Chloe for this hello. evening's production of Smug Film. <laughs> nice. Um, but we, 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 when it comes to Argento or those like Italian movies, for a long time, it was they'd be like released on VHS and stuff, and it would be like, oh, you know, you got 25 seconds of footage missing or this this cut has the three minutes gone and you're always like what's that footage like you know like i gotta see that footage and as as sort of formats progressed and you know dvd turns to blu-ray and uh this footage is recovered from italy or whatever and maybe it wasn't dubbed and maybe it was and they they put together sort of the complete like this is what dario argento intended you to see and you watch it, and it's you know three minutes longer than the VHS that you saw, and that's all well and good, and like you get to see f- what his formal intentions are. But to see a movie like that in the theater and actually be able to like connect with the character and really respond to this character, like what does that say about like his emotional intentions as opposed to these formal intentions? Right. Like you know, with me, like I can watch an Argento movie and love him and this, that, and the other, but. I don't know if I've ever really connected with any character in any of those movies. You know what I mean? That's a like, good point. His characters, 
they're kind of there. You know, they're kind of just a through line for the crazy ride that you go on. It's yeah. kind of like the Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. I don't know anyone that was kind of like, oh, that Cow Malden in uh, The Cat of Nine Tails was really well drawn. <laughs> and like, I really Well, that's it. a problem with a lot of the, the Giallo movies yeah. in general. Yeah. But to, I've never really, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen any of those movies in the movie theater per se, but obviously Chloe... I guess really responded to the fact. Yeah, she had a great experience with it. If you if you guys haven't read that one yet, that went up a couple of days ago, as of the time that we're recording it, but probably be a week or two ago when you guys hear this. But she wrote about seeing a phenomena with the Jennifer Connelly one, and uh, just the dissonance of the metal soundtrack versus like the quiet action on screen, which people in the theater were interpreting as like a funny like mistake. Almost like, why would you put that music there? Whereas she responded to it like, no, yeah, absolutely. Because like the character was going through these motions where she was kind of like doing the right thing. Like she was like the rational one. She was like making, being careful and stuff. And it was talking about, it was almost like how metal it is to like do the right thing in a horror movie, you know, like how rebellious that is. Right. I saw Inferno in the theater, the, the Argento one. And that was, I think that was my first Argento outright. And that was, that was really good in the theaters. That reminds me, have you ever seen um, Possession? I still haven't seen that one. I know you love that one. I love that one. Yeah, 1980 with Sam Neill. Sam Neill, Possession, an Australian movie? Uh, and, and Isabel Adjani. I couldn't remember Yeah, that's her always name. a fun name. Yeah, <laughs> that movie is, that's a great movie. And that's something that I actually recently saw. I had seen it on my own, and then I recently saw it at BAM. And it was the same thing about people, people were laughing through the entire film. And I, when I first watched that movie, it's so out there. I like, I can't, I love that movie. I can't even promote it enough, but it was so out there. Everyone was laughing so hard. And when I watched it the first time, I was like, this is crazy. Like, I watched it dead serious, like, right. totally into it. And it's there's so much to laugh at, but it never even occurred to me. And it's funny, yeah. It's, it's weird when you also have those uh, theater experiences where you're, you're totally not on board with everybody around you. Yeah. I remember that happened with me and, me and you, Jenna, when we saw the comedy, the Tim Heidecker movie. The yeah. theater was treating it like they were watching Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Right. You know, they were just laughing at everything. And that's, you know, there are funny things in that movie. Did you see that one? Yeah. Yeah, there are funny things in it. But, you know, it's pretty dramatic. And it's, you know, the movie is, and this doesn't spoil anything, but it's about using humor as kind of like a buffer and going through your life with that as your buffer and not really connecting, you know. There's a step definitely between the humor in that movie. So, like, to laugh at that seems... Oh, it was like vastly inappropriate kind it of. It was like a, it was like a "How I Met Your Mother" kind of laugh track in that theater. Yeah, that was that was totally yeah. And the whole point of that movie, I agree with you, is about like the the hipster irony of of like not actually living your life, right? And and not connecting. Yeah, and I don't think the the theater really was on that. And like, I think that colored my experience of it because I came out of it and we talked about it, and I was like, I liked it, but I didn't really. I felt like I could have. If I was in the editing room, I could have cut like a movie that was like a four and a half out of five for me. And the version that I saw was like a three and a half. But when I saw it later, when it was on DVD and I watched it again just at home, I was like, I'm totally on board with all of that. But I think the laughter kind of created these beats in the theater that like didn't really go along with the editing. And that was what made the editing wrong with me. 
I, th- I feel like that movie is a very quiet movie and benefits from a home viewing. Absolutely. You know, uh, the dialogue in that movie is like completely unnecessary to, uh, you know, to a point like it's basically there just he could be saying anything because whatever he says, he doesn't mean. Exactly. And, and that's sort of like the interesting thing about that movie, I felt, where like if you're seeing that with anybody else that you don't know, like their reactions are going to have a adverse effect on how you see it i think that happened to me at bam as well with the movie snow angels the david gordon green movie did you guys ever see that no. one no really really good movie but when i saw it in theaters and this is like the most bizarre this might be the most bizarre theater experience i ever have but sam rockwell's in that movie and he plays like a kind of a fuck up and it's definitely a drama there's some funny stuff in it but it's definitely a drama whenever he was on screen the theater was cracking up like they thought he was like the funniest thing in the world and there were a lot of like laugh moments in the movie because i think uh amy sedaris is in it too and she kind of she's not playing like a strangers with candy role or something just playing like a straight up dramatic role theater was just eating it up like it was a comedy and even the filmmaker you know david and one of the actresses in the film came out afterwards and they were like really weirded out by the response they were like this has never happened before. <laughs> like, this this isn't a comedy. You know, but people enjoyed the movie and, like, clapped afterwards and loved it. And that tainted my experience of it. I really loved the movie. I was kind of annoyed by the reaction stuff, but it's, it's a great movie. But when, then when I saw it, like, at home, it was, like, so brutally dramatic and so... Like, it's a really fucked up movie. Um, not in like a, you know, daring to be fucked up way, just in like a serious dramatic way. And seeing that at home, I really do like that experience of watching movies at home because you get that, that neutral experience, you know, it's not relying so heavily on strangers that are next to you. And I think that's one of the benefits of this like, uh, VOD kind of revolution of being able to watch new movies at home, not have to put up with like a bunch of schmoes in the theater that might not be gelling with what's on screen and on board with your vibe with it. You can have these kind of organic reactions to movies in your home that you can't really have if you're going out to see the new movie in a theater. That's true. I I find that for the most part, there are movies that come out that I want to see in theaters. And then there are movies that come out that I think I'll rent it, you know, or I'll I'll figure out some way to watch it. Well, that's a great, that's a great option that you have now. Yeah. Whereas, like, these smaller movies that come on, like, IFC On Demand or, like, these kind of, like, you pay, like, $3 on, like, Time Warner and you can watch them, you know, you don't really have to, you can make that choice. And I love that you can make that choice where, like, all right, this is a movie I want to see in the theaters. This is a movie I could probably just watch on TV, you know? I just love that option because not all movies really need to be seen in theaters. I mean, the theater experience helps. It You know, it enhances to a certain sense. But a lot of these movies that are shot nowadays, they're shot like they're television anyway, because they know that's how you're going to be watching them. You know what, actually, is I I love um, movie theaters that give you the opposite option of movies that I might have originally seen uh, by renting that I now want to see on theaters. And I feel like that's the one thing New York kind of doesn't do as well as other parts of the country. Like... um, San Francisco has the Castro Theater, which is another, like, gorgeous Wurlitzer theater. But they always play movies that are, like, you know, classics. And that's so that's so cool. And, like, you know, it's one thing to always have, like, I don't know, The Shining 
playing or something like you know you don't how many times you're going to see the shining like on theaters in one year but like i i love how they the most of the stuff that they put out is like just older stuff or classic stuff or things that you've always wanted to see on a big screen i remember actually when i moved to san francisco originally they were doing um an al pacino week and i i like canceled plans i like was (laughs) i was so excited for this and they were doing like back to back it was like panic in needle park and like scarecrow or like um gosh i've been trying to remember it's like everything all like dog day afternoon and like you know all these these great al pacino movies that i remember i literally left i was trying to like craigslist move in somewhere and i got went for an interview and i was like yeah i have a, i have a meeting at, at seven like I, I gotta get out of here like yeah i mean that's the thing about the movie theater there's nothing more exciting than like that thing and it, it only happens in very large like metropolitan areas uh I remember, I don't know when this was, like maybe 10 years ago, but they had, at MoMA, they had for like a month or two this gigantic Roberto Rossellini sort of retrospective. And then in Queens at the Museum of Moving Image, they had this like enormous first of its kind in America, uh, Jacques Rivette retrospective. And like, I remember like, you know, getting both the you know the newspaper in my hand and being like, "What the fuck am I gonna do?" And I had to work. You know what I mean? So I was like dashing from MoMA to Queens to and just you know having like a spreadsheet of like what what is the most imperative thing to be seeing on this day. And if it was at my house, you know, I wouldn't be as excited. I wouldn't be going through the sort of motions. You wouldn't be sitting in a theater waiting for it to start and checking your watch and you know, reading up on the sort of what, what this movie is. And, you know, you kind of get into the spirit of things a little bit more in the movie theater. When it's at your house, you know, you have a computer over here, you can stop the movie, you can look at the computer, you you know, things like that, you know what I mean? And take away from the movie theater experience. Yeah. But obviously, there's pros and cons. You know, I have a kid now, and I if I get out to the movie theater, it's like, it, it's a rare treat. And I'm always like, you know, I get like a text from the babysitter being like, your kid's crying a lot, you know, and I'm like, what am I going to do, you know? So you're the one texting in the movie theater. Yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's me. If I lived in Florida, I might get shot, you know? <laughs> but, you know, the, the the movie theater has definitely its things. But like, to your point, I think that it's it's interesting. I'd rather see an old movie in the movie theater than a new one, definitely. I'd oh, rather see too. an old movie than a new yeah. one anyway. You know, I would also recommend for, if you're looking to like, be maybe like, forced to be exposed to other things i'm on all of these mailing lists for like i love museum of the moving image they're so wonderful I, that's like one of my favorite museums and wonderful wonderful place, in new york yeah. oh yeah and they they i'm on their mailing list for all these screenings and and um uh lincoln center does a lot of also yeah. the retrospectives and bam is pretty good about it too yeah and i think that's actually i've definitely just gotten an email with like a, a screen cap of something and thought that looks really cool <laughs> and just like you know go to the theater and see it i think the best theater actually in new york now that i'm thinking about it is the anthology without a doubt on second and second oh sure i mean they're great yeah they play the craziest shit in there man like you know you go see warhol movie uh you know i've met abel ferrara in that theater and you know i've seen him lucidly talking about things and i've seen him like out of his mind like you know (laughs) what i mean stumbling around and like i wouldn't trade that for anything you know what i mean and I've seen my friends' movies premiere there, and I've seen my movie played there. Yeah, did it? yeah. I mean, like, so it's it's like a beautiful it's a beautiful thing where it's like it's the true sort of equalizer where all cinema is equal. Like, you know, you go see a Jean Renoir, you know, from 1930 there, uh, or you can go see the new Cody Clark movie. You know That's right. I mean? 
And like, you know, it's like... For one night only. Yeah, but it makes you feel like very much, you know, kind of like humbled, but also sort of like proud at the same time. Yeah, it's a good place. Like, um, yeah, that was a great theater experience to be able to see my movie on that big screen. And I even noticed things about the movie watching it in the theater that I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. And people that were that went to that screening, people that had watched it like half watched it on Vimeo kind of thing while they were doing other stuff and complained like, yeah, nothing really happens in the movie. Like when they saw it in the theaters, they were like, oh my God, so much is happening. <laughs> right. You know, just because it like you're, you're seeing it so big and you're seeing how much every little thing means and you're forced to connect with it. Whereas like, you know, if you're half watching it on your laptop, and it's already kind of a slow movie, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it has no chance of succeeding, you know? I saw um, Playtime by Tati yeah. in theaters, and I don't think there's any other way to see Like, I would have just fallen That's a asleep. really good point. Did you yeah. see 70, mil- 70 millimeter print of yeah, it? Yeah, that was, it was, it was wonderful. That was That's like, a hard movie to watch at home and oh God, have yeah. the right experience with. Yeah, to see that, yeah. I mean, just, I haven't seen it in theaters, but I can, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a really good point. Yeah, and, you know, I think the thing with, with being a filmmaker in these times is, like, you have to betray you have to betray yourself almost in a way because the way I'm assuming you're working and, like, I think the way that a lot of sort of intelligent filmmakers work is they try to sort of cut out sort of the bullshit that, you know, it's like when you make a movie, you, you come with all the, this sort of bullshit from, like, pop culture or, or movies behind you and you're trying to cut to the heart of what you want to do with a movie and be true to yourself and and when you see something on a screen you're looking at this movie you're editing it and you're backing up you're going forward you're backing up and you see these gestures that mean something to you and you're like okay that gesture says everything i can cut out the next you know 60 lines of dialogue because this gesture is what it means right but you say that you know you showing to somebody they're watching on vimeo and bam they missed the gesture exactly and then they're off it's completely off you know so when when you when they see it in the anthology it, it brings that sort of attention back and it brings that exactly and even sound design too yeah like coming at you in a certain visceral way you know, I think the theater is 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 the way to see it how the director sees it. Yeah, because when you're when you're sitting there and you're looking at it on your screen and you're editing it, it's really big in your mind. You know. Yeah. You're, you're looking for those exact moments if you're editing it well, and you know, that's really what you want to do is you want to distill whatever you created to the moments that really need to be there. There, there's a certain thing about anthology that's almost like up to you really exactly they were playing like porno like a couple months back yeah and they'll play like you know they'll play fucking anything as long as it's interesting yeah i, I, I saw um some weird western were uh, called run home slow oh Frank i love Zappa. that fucking movie yeah you yeah, saw yeah, it yeah, oh yeah, man yeah. yeah they were playing that in anthology i was like what is this yeah, <laughs> yeah Zappa did the theme for it right? i yeah. think we've come to the conclusion that anthology is the greatest theater in new york and i'm glad I wasn't the one who came to that conclusion because people would think I was biased because my film played there. I'm glad it was <laughs> Ned over here pointing that out. I think I think that's safe to say. I think it is the best theater in New York City. I, yeah. yeah. If you really think about it, if you really put it all together. All right. We came to that conclusion. All right. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back to answer some questions. So stick around. And now, a movie joke by comedian Anthony Kapfer. 
I'm writing a screenplay. It's a prequel to the movie RoboCop. I call it Regular Cop. This has been a movie joke by comedian Anthony Kapfer. Visit him at anthonykapfer.com. K-A-P-F-E-R. And we're back. Now we're going to open up the mailbag and see what the uh, people on the internet are asking us today. Here's one from Eric. Would you rather watch a Darren Aronofsky movie based on the board game Connect 4, or would you rather watch a Wes Anderson movie based on the board game Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur? What do you guys think? What's Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur? I never heard of it either. <laughs> I never heard of it, but I would pick uh, never heard Anderson, of that one either, right? No. You just go for Anderson. Yeah, because I like the dinosaur idea. I like the idea of like claymation. I, I hope he goes like Life Aquatic with it, you know? Like claymation dinosaurs or something. I'm going to go for Aronofsky just because I think that could be the most pretentious film. And I'm like super into <laughs> how he can make Connect Four like like pie or something, you know? Like, yeah, I'm imagining something like The Fountain where like it's just giant pieces in space like yeah, floating around slowly. in a lining. Well, like if you think about it, he did, uh, he did a lot of that, that board game Go in, uh, in Pi. You know, the board game he was playing with like his math teacher and whatever. That's kind of like Connect Four, you know? You got like <laughs> little all. circles and come on. He already made the movie. It's closer, it's closer it's close. than it's close. Wes Anderson is to the dinosaur thing. I would go for Connect Four if I liked most of his movies. <laughs> I, lo- I love uh, The Wrestler. I like Pi. The other ones I can't really get down with. So I, I'm, I'm going to go Wes Anderson. I got to go with I need to see a cast list, I think, of either of them before I can get Well, I think that. you know the Wes Anderson cast list, right. let's be honest. Bill Murray in this one? <laughs> yeah, I think Bill Murray, all those guys, Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, and uh, the list goes on. I think they're in Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur. Yeah. Who's in Connect Four, though? Who's in that one? Liam Neeson. Jennifer Connelly, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was an all right question. <laughs> pretty good. That was pretty conceptual. All right, next one. Shane asks, why does every movie have music in it all the time? <laughs> I, I say that Shane should go check out Diary of a Country Priest. And yeah, I think we... He's drinking. <laughs> yeah, we covered that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, what's the word? The diegetic or di- diegetic? Diegetic, diegetic music. You know what that is, Jenna? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's when movie. It's when music plays over the movie. But it's not like. Uh, oh no! Wait, did I get it backwards? No, non. I think non. Yeah, non diegetic. Now, now I'm a little unsure. Yeah, one of them is music that's just overlaid, and the other one is music where it figures into the plot. So like somebody's listening to the radio, so a song is playing. Otherwise, it's just music. Just like Wes Anderson would be a good example of music that's just overlaid. I like know? that. I mean, it depends. It can be yeah, done Yeah, it horribly. works or it doesn't work. You yeah. Know? That's what it comes down to. It's about setting mood, but you know. Our music boy is... Shane wants to know why. Cause, because music is emotional to most people, and movies are meant to evoke some sort of emotion. Uh, on top of proving a point or doing something, proving something, and visual, it's all the senses, man. You got to get everything involved. Yeah, music's like a shorthand. You know, it's like Wes Anderson kind of uses a shorthand where, like, if he, like, a lot of his vibe, you can't really 
break it apart from the music that he uses, like the, you know, the Rolling Stones deep cuts or like, you know, whatever stuff he brings up, you know, like the Mark Mothersbaugh score. Like it just ties so much into the experience. You can't really separate it. Like Scorsese too, his early stuff. You can't really separate the music from the movies. It's like anything else. I think when it's done, you know, well, it's, there's a reason, there's an essential reason, like, you know, like Hitchcock or, or something like that, like Psycho, could that music, you know, be any better or be with, could, that movie could not be without the uh, Herman score. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But to, to your point of a shorthand, I think that it can be also sort of laziness too, like, oh, it slap can, some yeah. strings over that and you'll know that it's sort of always was a well up with emotion. And it always kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, Yeah, you know, when it's done like that, when it's just, it's just wrong. That's, you know? I think that when you can find good horror movies and bad horror movies, the bad ones rely so heavily on music. Yeah. That's usually and that was crappy. A, that was a problem with like the later Kevin Smith stuff. I remember Clerks 2 had like this like, like kind of like peppy kind of like library stock tracks. Yeah, like music overlaid underneath like what they were talking about. And I was like, Man, did you even see Clerks? Like, right. Kevin, did you watch that one? Because that, that wasn't this, like, whatsoever. This is supposed to be Clerks too, right? And maybe you could go back to, like, how you handled sound in that first one and carry that over because that's part of the Clerks vibe. And, that, like, I remember that stuck out like a sore thumb when he did that. All right, this, uh, this one's from Joe. And he wants to be credited as Joe Hanging Long. That's, that's how he want. Hey, it's his request. And his question is, where do you think the most promising comedies will come from in the near future? You know, people, groups, writers, directors, actors. What's the future of funny, so to speak? I'm actually getting really sick of... I think it's also sort of a shorthand as the the internet funny versus actual people who sit down and write. You know, like how you got so many brilliant actors and writers and just people from something like Second City when it first started, whereas... We have our, our internet celebrities, and some of them are wonderful. I love like I love Andy Samberg. Like I, the Lonely Island is hilarious to me. I love all of his stuff. But uh, you know, there, there's a lot of that reliance on inside jokes that we're all meant to be in on because we all have the internet and stuff like that, and that's boring to me. It's it's just such a it doesn't take talent to have an inside joke, right? It doesn't. It's not the same witticism of like an Albert Brooks or something. Where like you got, or even Woody Allen, where you have like this distinct vibe that is is created on the page, so to speak. Whereas like with a lot of these new comedies, the distinct vibe is in the pre-established sort of connection. Like with Andy Samberg or whatever. Any example where like they have these pre-established audiences, and then it's just the fact that they're there. You know that's part of the joke already, and that I think Tim and Eric, to their credit, I love those guys, but that that's a problem that they fall into too. Where like when they did their movie, billion dollar movie, I didn't really like that one too much, even though I liked their show a lot. And I think the the problem I had with it because it just felt like they were there. You know, it didn't feel like they were. All right, let's make a movie. Let's write a script. Let's do something. It was just oh, it's Tim and Eric's movie. Right. The joke is that is Tim and Eric making a movie. Isn't exactly. That, isn't that funny? Like I, I, it's hard to sustain a whole movie on that, I think. It's it's funny that you bring up Andy Samberg, because I, I was flipping through stuff last night, and I just wanted something sort of stupid that I could just kind of get down with and not think about much. And um, Please let it be Hot Rod. It was. I love Hot Rod. <laughs> I've never seen it, and uh, I, I, I just shut it off, because I was like, well, 
it just seems like the the joke is like this guy is sort of like that's his character like oh he's emotionally fragile and like you know like i was just like i don't know and to bring up some like woody allen like a guy like that was like a hardcore joke writer you know like he spent exactly. his days like, crafting a joke i think the same can be said for norm mcdonald like you know there are guys that like really have a lot of reverence for the joke and i think a lot of these new guys they don't they don't know about jokes really they don't give they a don't shit. seem like writers in that same sense like norm mcdonald he there's no reason why he can't have a career like Albert Brooks or something like that, you know, and dirty work, you know, it kind of failed on some level, but had this cult response and he could have gone down that direction. And Adam Carolla is a good example too. his movie, the hammer. It's not really specifically a comedy. Did you guys see that? No, ever? no. it's a, it kind of takes you by surprise because it's, it's really like, it's like a really good sports, like boxing movie that isn't reliant on the tropes of that. Like, it's just like a guy at a boxing gym and like a younger guy at a boxing gym. You know, it it has that kind of like simple vibe to it. And it almost feels like Albert Brooks doing like a small boxing movie, you know, and it has that great weird, you haven't seen this before, but you've seen it in other places, but it's just gelling together, right? Vibe to it. And you're right. A lot of these new guys, it's not coming from like being a comedic writer you know, writing for, and a lot of these guys have writing jobs on like TV shows or whatever, but that's like a whole different thing. You know, when you're writing a movie, you really need that foundation of constructing a movie. It's almost like writing a movie and writing a funny movie is exactly the same thing because the jokes should be coming from the story. I, you know, that's what I was going to say is that I think comedy fails when it ends up being too the culture of comedy. You know, if it's just like, if you're just constantly going back to other comedy to make new comedy, it's it's not as funny. Or if it is funny, it's just not brilliant. Like, Hot Rod, like, is the most stupidest movie, and I think it's hilarious. And part of what I think is funny is just the idea in the movie, like, is about basically what's funny is that you picture the guys sitting down writing this movie saying, let's have him do, like, a punch dance montage and then fall down the cliff for five minutes no, let's make it 10. And then you're like, you're watching it and you're thinking of that. And that's what makes you laugh in that movie. Or it doesn't at all. Right, like, there's like a self-awareness. It. aspect Yeah, it's that self-awareness. But I mean, I don't think that they're geniuses. Whereas someone like, say, Stephen Colbert, I think is a genius because he's basically, you know, he's pulling from different source material and he creates comedy from, not from comedy, from politics, which I guess is arguably comedy. But uh, I think that everyone who's considered like a great comic genius is usually coming from a different background, like music, uh, movies, other other types of, of art or just life. And that's that's when it gets really funny. Yeah, I think the comedy world has this insular quality to it where it's there's almost like a self-sufficiency to it. It's very incestuous. You know, that's the appearance where like everybody knows everybody. It seems like like all the L.A. comedians, they all kind of pretty much... Anybody that's successful, they all pretty much know each other. They root for each other as yeah. well, right? And it's very self-supportive where it's like, you know, like everybody's always in the same stuff. And it just seems like there there isn't the outlier quality that really pushes something forward. So I think, it, you know, to answer his question, it has to come from outliers that aren't people that are doing improv and stand-up and stuff necessarily but are just funny people and have funny things to say and maybe are just coming at it from like a screenwriter background. You yeah, know? I agree. Uh, 
It's going to come from outside of the culture. I think that Stanley Kubrick could probably be considered a comic genius. You know what I mean? If you look at it a certain way, like Dr. Strangelove or something like that. You know what I mean? Like this guy was just a Look Magazine photographer. And exactly. Like, you know, his movies, all of them are really funny. Like if you think, you know, if you get into it, like if you look at it like that. Hitchcock too, to bring him up again, he's a good example of like a guy that has a very distinct sense of humor and you're not seeing him at the Laugh Factory, right. you know? <laughs> but, like, his humor, if you allow it if you allow it to come through, his humor is definitely there, sure. you know? And a lot of these directors, Martin Scorsese, yeah. you know... Polanski. Louis C.K. Somebody asked him what, like, his favorite comedy movies were. He was like, Raging Bull, Goodfellas. He was like, these are the movies that really make me laugh hard. And... You know, they really are comedies if you allow them to be. Like, just the way that people talk to each other is just so funny. Yeah, he's like, you bring the steak over here, you're going to overcook it. That's yeah. the first scene in the movie. <laughs> and I'm dying laughing at this guy because I know exactly who he is. Yeah. And I know exactly why he's saying that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hilarious. And it's Rob De Niro, like, to bring it all on top of it, you know? And, like, you can't really do that in a comedy sketch for some reason, you yeah. know? And that's the first scene. And That's why it was so weird when everyone was surprised that De Niro took, like, a comedic turn. It was like, did you watch Raging Bull? Did you watch, like, these movies? I remember watching... He's a funny guy. I remember watching Goodfellas not, not long ago, and he's talking, and he's, like, talking about how Henry Hill is cheating on his wife, and Henry Hill's wife is coming over to talk to De Niro's wife, and De Niro's like, I can't have this. I can't, I can't do it. I can't have it. I can't do it. And it's like that's the funniest thing. Like you can't you can't write that. Like yeah, you can't yeah. write that as a joke. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a, like, a, and that's what his character is, and that's what yeah. his character would do. And comedy is supposed to catch you off guard. And the best way for it to catch you off guard in movies, I think, is to come from a movie where you don't expect it whatsoever. Like when you're bowled over laughing on the line in a movie where you didn't think that you were going into like a com- comedy movie. Like it's not like when you're sitting down in the theater and you're like all right, new Will Ferrell movie. I know what I'm getting. Let's laugh. And then you're like, oh, wait, you know, it's just, it's the same kind of thing again. It's exactly what you were saying about the comedy. People go in there thinking that, you know, this is what I want it to be. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're not looking for the comedy. Yeah, that's that was the success of that movie is it kind of broke that mold. And I think the filmmaker, Rick Alverson, I hope I got his name right. I think it's Rick he was able to use those guys in a way that they probably wouldn't have necessarily been able to use themselves if they had just came up with even the same idea. Yeah. You know, he was able to construct it in a way where they were really being used as actors and they were able to bring their talents, but have it work in a story that, that tied it all together and had like a deeper meaning. And I always love that when you see like comedic actors be able to make like a dramatic turn Perfect example, Adam Sandler, Punch Drunk Love, was able to be used in a way that wasn't dissimilar from stuff that he's done with, like, playing with rage and anger and meekness before. But the construct of that movie, just Paul Thomas Anderson was almost sitting with you going through the old Adam Sandler movies and being like, no, look at this moment. You know, look at look at what he's capable of right here in this moment in Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison or something. It felt like he was touring you through what this guy was capable of that he wasn't necessarily able to do on his own. And that's a that's always great to see that that sort of comedic actor be reinterpreted. I'm on the fence about that one. I, I really I unless it's good, if it's good, then like I'm I'm there, you know, 
Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine was right. wonderful. It, it doesn't always work. Uh, I course. think Will Ferrell needs to stick to comedy. I know he's he's gone to a couple things. I don't know. It depends. Yeah, I think it just depends. I think that Punch Drunk Love is great, and I think that it's just as funny as a, a couple other Sandler movies. You know, and like yeah. a, you know, even a movie like Magnolia that I don't really care for that much. It's a it's a heavy heavy drama, and you're like uh, just watching it, like Jesus Christ, this is heavy, you know. But um, there's this one scene where they're doing the game show, and uh, Lu- Louis Guzman is that his name? Yeah, yeah. And he's sitting there, he's like, you know, I know things about like milk and like dairy, and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> oh my god, that's a perfect example, you yeah. know. And it's like, dude, are you kidding? And it's almost like it's almost like in the like back of the stereo surround channel that he's saying this shit. <laughs> It's true. Those are the lines that, like, I'll pick out of movies, and they're, like, my favorite comedic lines. Ah, You know, I'll go to those quicker than I'll go to, like, Talladega Nights or something like that. You know, I'll go to these dramatic movies where there's just, like, this one funny little bit in it. Because it's just, it's like the whole movie's set up where you're just completely stone-faced, and then there's a line comes out of nowhere and just jars you. So good. (laughs) And Boogie Nights has that, too. You know, there's those dark moments in Boogie Nights. And then, like, the John C. Riley stuff, which is really just kind of predated his total comedic resurgence. Definitely. You know, he saw the comedy in John C. Riley before pretty much anybody else. Definitely. And there's some great moments with him in that. Even in Hot 8, when he's talking about the um, the pack of matches going off in his pocket or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's great, you know? And, like, and, and, and Boogie Nights is, is the, the best example of it, I think, because you got that... And, and Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in and he's looking ridiculous and it's like this is hilarious. Yep. And then he goes off into his car and starts crying because he 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 tried to make out with Dirk Diggler. And you're like, oh, you feel this guy and he's just like shattering. Yeah. But because he he was funny like that, it it, it reinforces it so much more. Well, yeah, they work together hand in hand. You need that tragedy aspect to comedy, whatever you're doing. Like, everybody always talks about that whole tragedy aspect to comedy. Right. And where better a place for that than, like, a dramatic movie for that to just come out organically. You know, not this arbitrarily imposed tragedy when you're, like, telling, like, a one-liner. Right. But, like, this natural tragedy that you're witnessing, and then here comes this funny aspect. I think Shakespeare was a big proponent of that. Yeah. You knew about that stuff. There you go. Good old, good old Billy. Bill. <laughs> Shout out to Bill. <laughs> so I hope that answered the question. I think that was a really good question, actually. Yeah, it was. That could yeah. have been a whole episode in and of itself. All right, guys. That was fun, right? It was. Yeah. You guys have a good time? I did. You're going to come back, right, Ned? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be good to have you. And Jenna, you're coming back, right? I have nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, well, we know that. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh be sure to rate us on uh, iTunes and leave comments and stuff. That really helps out as far as the ranking on there. It's this whole thing where, like, if you want people to be able to look up the word movies or film or whatever and see what your great podcasts such as this one, you need, like, five stars and all sorts of stuff to just bump it up in the rankings. And it's this very simple thing that you can do if you like the show that will really help us out and help more people be able to know about us and leave us some mailbag questions on our facebook leave us some on facebook you know emails whatever just get to us contact us we're on twitter we're on all of it you can find us we're not hiding smug film that's right smugfilm.com right do it do it we love you all right goodbye guys have a good day or night see ya